Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in this space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of the CRE Exchange. I'm Cole Perry, your host and senior market analyst here at Altus Group, a leading provider of asset and fund level intelligence. I'm joined by Omar Elterai, our U.S. Director of Research. Together, we'll share the latest news and trends in the U.S. commercial real estate market. Omar, it's great to be with you. Glad to be here. So the big news over the weekend, the uh, U.S. has averted a government shutdown uh, for the time being. Congress passed a continuing resolution or an appropriations bill that will fund the government for 45 days until mid-November, which for us, great news. Indicators are going to continue. I know you were looking at some big ones this past week. What were you looking at? Yeah, so we had two big prints that I know everybody was focused on. Core PCE, this is core personal consumption expenditures. This is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. This was released on Thursday, the 28th for the month of August. The new data showed that inflation is moderating. No news there, but it's still above the target rate. So core PCE was up 3.9% on a year-on-year basis or up just about 10 basis points on a month-on-month basis. Now, this monthly gain is really the smallest monthly increase since November 2020. Another big print this week, also on Thursday, the 28th, was GDP. So we got the GDP numbers for the second quarter, and the release data showed that the economy grew by 3.7% in nominal terms or 2.1% in real terms. And while the headline GDP numbers were in line with expectations. The release revealed that there were some notable revisions, particularly in consumer spending, which, as a reminder, accounts for roughly 65 to 70% of GDP. This was revised down, while the contribution from growing inventories was revised upward. Also, what jumped out this week was a Bloomberg article, which picked up a study from the Federal Reserve which showed that while nearly all income groups of Americans have seen their cash balances decline in real terms from uh, peak in 2021, there is a growing disparity between the wealthiest and the poorest Americans. So the wealthiest 20% of Americans still have cash savings about 8% above the level where cash balances were when COVID hit. And this contrasted pretty starkly with the bottom 40% of Americans who've seen cash balances and savings drop by nearly 8% and are now less liquid or less cash rich than they were when the pandemic started. Now, this caught my attention because a couple of this article and this study from the Fed with the fact that bank data is showing credit card delinquency rates at about 2.8%. This is the highest rate that we've seen in bank credit card loan portfolios in more than a decade, and they seem to be rising. And also adding to that is that the recently released Consumer Sentiment Index, which came out last week, 
and was published by the Conference Board, showed that consumer expectations are really souring. And so it appears that the high cost of capital may be starting to, to affect the seemingly resilient American consumer. And Cole, what were you watching in terms of earnings and consumer data this week? Yeah, I was looking at some consumer data too. In addition to the conference board's consumer sentiment index, we also had the University of Michigan consumer sentiment index. So that actually fell less than expected. So it was 68.1 versus an expected 67.7. So that was economists were polled by the Wall Street Journal and came up with that 67.7. So it did fall less than expected. And so overall, that was down from 69.5 in August, largely a product of uh, consumers' current economic conditions dipping. So just like you mentioned, a lot of uncertainty about the economy. I think in that version of the uh, surveys, people were concerned about government shutdown, ongoing labor disputes in the auto industry. So one of those two things is still happening, but interesting in the overall context of the consumer um, I was also paying attention to Costco's earnings. These were a beat. So same store sales, absent fuel rose 3.8% from a year ago. Net income was up 16% and analysts had expected 13. So this was a beat. Their stock was down, however, because expectations were already built into their inflated stock price, which has really outperformed the S&P quite a bit this year. So Costco's up 22% on the year. The S&P is up about 12, so 10% delta. Moreover, Costco is actually expected to announce a membership rate hike, but they did not. So their retention rate for members is as high as it's ever been. It's 92.7%. And so their management had a little bit of anxiety about what a potential rate hike might mean for their membership retention, which has really grown and grew in spite of the pandemic. They are concerned about a couple of things, but Costco is a company that seems to really do well in most, if not all, economic conditions, and, and their earnings really reflected that. Another one I was looking at this week was CarMax. So that was on the 28th of September. So earnings met expectations, but their net sales were actually down 11% year on year. So steep interest rates simply are putting vehicles, even used ones, out of reach for a large swath of consumers. They cited in their earnings call that an average used car costs upwards of $26,000. And I don't think there's a single new car on the market currently that is below $25,000. So that's some Kelly Blue Book data. I was also looking at Carnival Cruise Lines. This is one I mentioned last week that I was looking forward to. So this was overall a beat. This ran counter to my expectations, but they had record revenues up 60% from a year ago. They posted their first profit since 2020. Bookings were up 20% even from 2019. And things seem to be going great for them. The post-pandemic travel boom is really still going on. If consumers are still spending, it seems like a lot of this has been captured by the cruise market. So their management was pretty confident that this boom will extend into 2024. And they were worried about pretty much one thing, and that was fuel costs. They were worried that might eat into profits. But I thought that was super interesting that they've really had an incredible year and they expect this really to continue. I put all this together and what's interesting to me is bulk spending on warehouse goods in addition to sort of like now we have expensive vehicles 
People are still traveling, but it seems like through history, inexpensive automobiles and abundant inexpensive housing and low fuel costs have really driven the U.S. economy. And we have none of those things right now. I wonder what this is going to mean. It certainly has come up in all these earnings calls, but that's also driven a lot of different CRE types. And as fuel, housing, and transportation become a lot more expensive. This might have some impacts on the types of commercial real estate that perform well in the coming years or or decades. So I'll be looking at some more of those. But this week, I also mentioned housing. There were some big housing indicators that came out. So the FHFA house price index and the S&P Case-Shiller home price index came out last week, and they have both reached their respective highs ever. And so the FHFA index is at 409 index points, so using 1991 as 100, and the same for Case-Shiller was 410. So these are tracking very closely with one another over that period. But the difference between these two that's not really noticeable right now, just because supply of housing is so low, prices are, are going so high, FHFA calculates their index with mortgages securitized or purchased by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Case Schiller actually uses a much larger data set. So this is from county assessors offices from all across the country. And so you actually typically see this one be a little more volatile because Case Schiller is value weighted. So it adjusts for both low and high price housing. So on the housing spectrum. Relatedly, we also saw new home sales at 675,000 seasonally adjusted. This was down 8.7% year on year. And the National Association of Realtors Pending Home Sales Index was also down 7.1% from a year ago. Big story here is basically that mortgage rates are finally taking their toll on the pool of potential home buyers. We had reported on some last podcast that new home sales were actually doing okay, relatively speaking, because that was really the only supply that was available. But with mortgage rates now, MBA is reporting that a 30-year fixed mortgage rate has increased to 7.41%, and Freddie Mac estimates 7.31%. Super, super interesting. We got an independent presidential candidate this week, actually proposed government-backed 3% mortgage bonds. That's all well and good, but I see a major problem with this is Subsidizing demand doesn't help you grow the supply. And with this constrained supply and housing prices through the roof, unlocking home ownership is great, but at what cost? We have to build more to actually get more people into homes. So I think this runs counter to the affordability argument that we've actually heard from a lot of folks recently. The census estimates that fewer single-family homes have actually been completed than at any point since the late 1990s. So I think this is super interesting, a lot of good housing data this week, but we'll have to take a few other weeks worth of data points to process what's really going on in the market. Absolutely. And the affordability piece, I think, will start popping up again as I think politics really takes center stage as we go into an election year. And I could see that really, assuming we're in the same spot or we still are out of any sort of recession I could see affordability becoming a real centerpiece given the high cost of uh, housing. But we also attended the Crefsey Capital Markets Conference this week in New York. Uh, And Cole, what was your read on the the sentiment from the conference? 
Yeah, I think uh, we've we've coined this term to discuss the sentiment from the conference and it's a sort of level-headed apprehension. It was a net negative sentiment, not too different from what we heard back in June at the Krebs uh, conference here in New York, but they're focused predominantly on underlying credit and collateral concerns. And these were sentiments really expressed by multiple panelists and presenters. Do you have any high-level takeaways from the events? Yeah, I mean, to put a little bit more silver lining, I think that a lot of the sessions pointed out and the panelists spoke to that the capital markets are still functioning, even though they have seen a few down quarters. And given the audience, there was a lot of talk around the, the securitization space. And so the CMBS and CLO markets, while they have been quiet recently in terms of issuance, they are still open right? Deals are still pricing and new issuance is still happening, even though at much, much tamer levels than we've seen in years prior. But also there were plenty of comments around banks, right? Banks have been in the limelight through pretty much all of 2023, or at least since March of 2023. But ultimately, while they are perhaps a little bit more scrutinized and they haven't been able to fill the position that they've played in lending in as robust a, a way that we're used to seeing them play. I think there was ample comments around they are better capitalized, they are better positioned than they have been heading into historical down cycles. But also what I heard across a number of the sessions and a common thread was that there was acknowledgement of credit concerns, really not only in the securitized space, but also amongst balance sheet lenders. And I think while earlier this year, folks either pulled the panic forward and more towards the present, really was starting to hear a level setting that credit concerns will likely take time to work out, right? What we were hearing is that it's going to take possibly years to work through. Yeah, all of folks this. gave a huge range of estimates, but they mainly started with years. Yeah. I think if I were to boil it down, it's not broken, but likely a bumpy quarters ahead. And then a little bit more of a minor point, but a number of call outs and acknowledgements that there are a lot of eyes on the FDIC's recently marketed deal where they're selling a large portion of the signature loan portfolio. As a reminder, this is heavily New York and multifamily, but ultimately, I think the attendees were very much attentive to this, given that it will be a good comp for loan sales and underlying collateral values. And so I know that you also recently saw and we talked about San Francisco. What caught your attention there? Yeah, there's been a lot of stories about San Francisco this week, and there were some numbers, pretty startling numbers I saw in a Globe Street article about vacancy approaching 34%, which is just pretty unheard of, to be honest with you. And so there's all these conversations about a doom loop. So that's if offense vacancy is really high, people aren't downtown in San Francisco to work, so they're not doing any shopping, they're not doing any eating. So perhaps you wouldn't want to move to San Francisco if your neighborhoods are a lot less amenitized than they used to be. And the cycle just continues. Tourism drops, municipal finances get really strained because your tax base is gone. 
they're in a really tough spot. There was a Wall Street Journal article last week talking about the market showing signs of life, but I thought this was a bit of a misnomer. It basically equates to values being low enough that transaction volume is actually picking up. There were some a spike in searches for office space and a spike in searches for offices for sale. And I think a lot of that is merely just that they've finally gotten to the prices that some of this stuff is actually going to move. I don't know if you had any thoughts on the uh, San Francisco office market, but some interesting stories this week. Yeah, I'm glad to see the markets working, right? <laughs> Even though I think signs of life, some of those signs might not be the most positive, but the fact that assets are and transactions are clearing, I think that is somewhat comforting, right? In terms right. of- I think a couple of months ago, people were worried that there were no buyers for this stuff at all. And in that context, I think they've been proven a little bit wrong. And so I have a quick programming announcement. The CRE Exchange podcast has been a new endeavor for us on the research team, and we've really enjoyed creating it. And we've heard some really positive feedback from listeners. Thank you. And as we continuously try to improve, uh, we're going to iterate on what we've built thus far and shift the format of the podcast over the coming weeks to try something new. As a result, we'll be shifting to a bi-monthly format. So we'll be releasing episodes every other week or twice a month. While we still will plan on covering macro, market, and CRE-specific news, the new format will also allow us to dig deeper into areas of interest and bring in other voices from uh, across Altus as well as the CRE industry at large. We'll continue to experiment with the format, but hope to hear from you and, and get your feedback on what you like, maybe what you dislike. So please share your feedback with us. If you would like to do that in writing, please reach out to us at altusresearch at altusgroup.com. Don't worry, that email will be in the show notes. Or reach out to Cole or myself on social media, the easiest to find us is probably on LinkedIn. Great. Thanks for the announcement, Omar. And I think that is all the time we've got today. But I do look forward to speaking with you on another episode of the CRE Exchange in two weeks. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange podcast powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.